This is Two Nerds in a Joke with Robert and Ernie. Thanks, disembodied hot girl voice. This is Two Nerds in a Joke, Robert and Ernie. I'm Ernie. And where's Robert? Oh, gosh. Oh, yeah, me. Hi, I'm here. It's Robert, and I am just excited to be alive. And I'm so grateful today um, to have a community on the show because I need a good laugh. Don't you agree, Ernie? Uh, yeah, yeah. We, we do have a guest on who so happens uh, to make people laugh unlike ourselves. Yes, we do. And our, our comedian actually has like a real live actual special out there in the world. And his name is Phil Johnson. Uh, Phil, introduce hey, us uh, and tell us a little bit about your special and your style of comedy. Yeah, your bona fides. Sure. Yeah. Uh, so I'm a comedian and a musician and uh, among other things, but those are the, those are the main things. And I actually have a, I have the, there's three specials out that I have already. Two of them you can find on Amazon prime. Uh, you can find uh, be yourself unless you're an idiot and pretty from the back. Uh, both are on Amazon prime and uh, currently working on getting number four uh, filmed. And I think it's going to be called burning sensation, but I'm not entirely sure yet. Uh, but uh, my style of comedy is, um, uh, I do a lot of musical comedy in the show, uh, and I, I, I tend to uh, make people uncomfortable sometimes, uh, at least in this current show where I talk about things that maybe I'm not necessarily, uh, quote unquote, allowed to talk about. Uh, but I try to talk about them in ways that uh, people will come around to. So I uh, tread some, uh, you know, I, I, I have no fear of delving into race, sex, religion, and uh, and talking about all the things you're not supposed to talk about over Thanksgiving dinner. Nice, nice. <laughs> so, so we we kind of have that kind of flow sometimes, but you don't do it with Thanksgiving dinner uh, per se. But we definitely have that kind of idea of you know sometimes not being as appropriate, but we try to keep it PG thirteen. Uh-huh. <laughs> so that's kind of my new my new thought process. You know, it's like there's so much stuff going on. And there's so many comedic things going on in the world that. And entertainment alone is kind of that world. Do you spend a lot of time on that too, or is it just like totally all inappropriate? Oh, no. I uh, The funny thing is that people will come out of my shows and they will go, it was so great that you work clean, that you're not just a dirty comedian. And uh, and that's because, first of all, I can I can walk a room without saying any dirty words if I really want to. And, but people appreciate that there's some thought behind the jokes and it's not just swearing and sex and things like that. There's some, uh, I always try to be very, um, as intelligent as I can about talking about the things that I do. And some of it is gratuitous, but, um, that's usually either to bring people into the show or loosen them up at the end. And then we do the, uh, more mentally taxing stuff towards the middle. Oh, nice. Okay. Well, that's really sweet because, I mean, that's it, it's good to cover a little bit of everything in comedy because I feel like if you, you do just personal experience and stuff, that's not enough. It can be. Yeah. I mean, a lot of the, I mean, it's all sort of based on my personal experience uh, mixed with some ob- observational stuff. But I feel like even to ground the observational stuff, it has to be based in my personal experience, you know. Uh, and so any of the stuff I talk about is – Subjects that I'm intimately involved with. I talk about being in an interracial relationship and, you know, growing up in California and uh, uh, being a lapsed Catholic and uh, why I don't uh, drink or do drugs and, you know, that kind of stuff. And uh, and so it's all based on personal experience. But then the challenge is to um, make that relatable as well, because if it's too personal, then it's not relatable. So you have to kind of 
tread that line a little bit. Now, Ernie and I, we actually tried to do a stand-up show. Remember that, Ernie? We we had the thought that we were going to do that at one point, do an open mic night. The two yeah, of us. That, that, yeah, that wasn't. Yeah. <laughs> hey, we're we're actually. It's actually one of those things that we're actually really funny together. But it's like one of those things we can't force. It just kind of has to happen naturally. Mm-hmm. So when we try to put an actual mm-hmm. act together, it kind of fell apart because. Ernie had a little bit of stage fright, and I ramble way too much. I just go off on these tangents that aren't really <laughs> funny anymore. So it's just kind of just out there. But yeah, it's a it's a practice of making it composed and and knowing what you're doing, but then making it look like it's not composed. You know, that's and there are people that write on stage and do that kind of thing. Uh, but yeah, it's a matter. It, the difference is when you're just hanging out and being funny. That you're using a different mental state entirely than when you're standing on a stage in front of a bunch of strangers and going, here's the things I've composed for you, but I'm trying not to make them look like I've composed them for you, you know? So it's just a, it's a different part of your brain that gets used in that, in that uh, situation. Wow. You sound like you got the science of, of comedy down too. That's crazy. <laughs> I, I, I delve quite deeply in all this stuff, but good for you guys for trying out the open mic. I think everybody should try it at least once uh, because it always makes for better audience members when they come up and they go, I tried what you do. It's really hard. And now I appreciate it more. <laughs> Absolutely. Yeah. No. And Ernie, one of the things that you, that you and I have uh, always wanted to do is, is do like a live show from like a con or something. You do a panel or something like that. And that takes that same kind of, I think that same mental state where you have to have some prepared notes, but not quite the same. Uh, kind of feel to it. So I think it kind of gets in that headspace you're talking about, Phil. But oh yeah, yeah, while we have an actual comedian who can make our show actually like really, really funny, Ernie, like next level funny, want to talk to you about some of the co- cool stuff that's going on currently. Ernie, I want you to start it because I know you have the funniest things from the entertainment world that you wanted to talk about. Wow. Well, there was so many things I had prepared for, for Phil, but now that we're going with this format, we'll go, we'll go the other way. So... <laughs> <clears throat> throw away the no, notes, Ernie. No, it's okay. Throw away the notes, right? I had all this stuff. It was going to be like, oh, wow, what a great question, you know? But no, all right. Um, There's supposed to be a ripping uh, uh, drop right there, right? Yeah, right. yeah, just sound everything apart, right? <laughs> you, I'm going to dr- drop that in later. We'll get that done. <laughs> <laughs> no, so, so like, lately it seems as though, like, uh, a lot of comedians are are, uh, are – just heading out onto the big screen and just headlining a lot of these movies. Uh, Kevin Hart for one. And, and um, you know, Dave Chappelle is, is dropping a new special as well. Um, When you see these things like making big time, big screens for you as a comedian, are you, are you more comfortable? Do you think it's better? It's the comedy better, like in the smaller venues or in like those big, like 85,000 foot arenas? Mm. I th- every comedian will agree that a 200 seat comedy club is the best venue in the world for what we do. Those guys can't do that because they need just the capacity uh, to meet the demand that they've got, you know, but a, a, a 200, 150, 200 seat comedy club with a low ceiling uh, is the, the perfect environment for what we do because you can really connect with the audience. The trouble with bigger venues is that you have to wait. You have Your delivery has to be a lot slower and you have to wait for the laugh to get all the way from the back of the house back up to the stage so that you don't step on it before you get into your next joke. And so it's really a, a completely different timing thing to work in those really large venues. Um, I've done... Uh, you know, thousand seat, two thousand seat venues. I've never done an arena, and I can only imagine how much 
worse the problem is there. <laughs> oh, yeah, yeah. Because, uh, you know, Kevin Hart was down here in South Florida, and he was at uh-huh. uh, Hard Rock. And essentially, okay. it's a football stadium, and people legitimately packed the 80,000-seat venue, but it was like yeah. they were just watching him, like, on the on the Jumbotrons. Like, uh-huh. that's how far away they were. But I heard, like, essentially, you know, he can – he could – like deliver like a story like no other apparently i've never been to one of his specials live but apparently like his his uh his uh recorded specials do very well and of course you know him being in the movies um you know he's done his voiceover work in secret life of pets and also Mm -hmm. he's been in like jumanji um are there any like are there any like comedians like that you kind of like look at and say like you know what i wonder if i can get to that point um, my uh, my comedic heroes are guys that performers that um, sometimes do some of that stuff uh, and sometimes act and things like that, but are really more dedicated to a a killer hour on stage like um, Eddie Izzard is a huge guy for me. I don't, I don't know if you're familiar with him. Um, oh, yes. Yes. I saw his uh, I saw his special. Yes. Yeah. And he's like, he's one of my absolute favorites. I see him anytime he comes to town. I have all his albums. Um, he's he's also one of my few comedic heroes that I haven't had a chance to meet yet, which is disappointing, but someday. Uh, but he is uh, amazing. And he does the acting stuff. He'll show up on voiceover stuff because the the um, Hollywood always wants you to be able to do something else if you're a comedian. They, they always get like there's a Mitch Hedberg joke where they go, what do you do? And he goes, I'm a comedian. And they go, great. Do you write? And he goes, no, I'm a comedian. And they're like, great. Do you direct? And he's like, no, I'm a comedian. You know, they always want you to do something else besides just be a comedian. Whereas if you're a musician, they don't always go, great. Can you write us a sitcom? You know, Uh, and so comedians are sort of by necessity. We have to be these multi-hyphenate type performers where we have to be able to, you know, write and do voiceover and do all this kind of stuff. Um, Because until you're in that very upper range, just doing stand-up comedy isn't that great of a payday. You really have to be at that theater level um, to make a solid living at it, or at least, you know, not be a paycheck to paycheck type of performer. And so uh, uh, the guys that I really, that I sort of gravitate, sort of gravitate to are the ones that are really concentrated on that, that solid, really great hour. And those have always been the guys that I always look up to more so than, um, you know, the ones that are doing everything else. We'd all like to do everything else. I love to do acting when the opportunities come up, but I just don't have the time or the wherewithal to actually do auditions and things like that. (laughs) (laughs) No, no. And someone else told me about this, about comedy and like dramatic acting. Like you find like some comedians like can do drama very well because it kind of comes from the same place, I guess. Uh, Do you experience Mm -hmm, that a lot when you're doing your, your, your funniest stuff is usually like from like really messed up situations. Um, sometimes I don't do a lot of, I mean, there's a lot of, um, what I call woe is me comedy out there, which is, you know, the comedian goes up and talks about what a disaster of a person they are. And I'm not like that. I don't do a ton of self-deprecating stuff, uh, mostly because if I wanted, if I wanted to be, you know, insulted, I would go back to middle school. There was plenty of that there. (laughs) Yeah. And, uh, so I don't do, I do some self-deprecating stuff just because you have to warm the audience up, but I don't do a ton of it. And I certainly don't do the woe is me stuff. Um, but the, I, now I forgot what the question was. (laughs) (laughs) It's all right. The question wasn't that good. It's fine. Don't worry about it. (laughs) 
so so let's switch for a second here because Ernie, I know one of the things we saw come out. I want I want to know if you caught it. Did you catch? Have you ever watched the the um, shark movie Sharknados? Oh my gosh! Uh, I I have I have not actually sat down to watch them. I'm so, I have to be so picky with the things that I sit down and watch that I have not okay, watched those. Good, things, just because no, I'm very happy for you not having to have watched that because they now have come <laughs> out with the zombie one. And Ernie, what was it like? The highest grossing. Oh my gosh, zombie tidal wave. And um, I guess they didn't want to like go to the well too much with Sharknado to keep its good name. So they decided to go with zombie tsunami or some zombie tidal wave. So it's a tidal wave full of zombies and they got uh, Ian's earring to once again uh, spearhead this project. And, it, and it's amazing how well it does. Every one of those movies just seems like the beginning of an improv game to me. Like, give me an animal. And then give me a disaster, and then we're going to put them together. <laughs> <laughs> and that's the thing. I mean, I, I'm, assume, I'm assuming you did some improv before you started doing comedy, or did you not even do the improv thing at all and just jump right in? No, I've never – I've yeah, I've never been much of an improv guy. I mean, I came to comedy from music. Oh. I, I have a degree in jazz. Oh, wow. Uh, played in band. And uh, and so I, I got to comedy because I'd written a couple of goofy songs that started to catch on with people, and I got it got started to get invited to do comedy shows. And then from there, it, I, you know, I was like, well, I guess I better learn how to actually do this. So that's when I started, you know, delving into the stand-up portion of things. But yeah, so I didn't come at it from improv. I came at it from music, which is um, sort of a weird way of getting there, but not unheard of. I have a lot of a uh, lot of comedian friends who used to be musicians, and then I have some uh, former comedian friends who are now musicians. So it goes both. Well, this ways. seemed to be a, a, a niche market that you could easily step into like the the comedic jokester songster types because they do exist there are only a few of them that i know oh, about yeah. that you could i mean if you have the musical chops because that's hard to come by you know the comedy because mm. not easy but it's slightly easier than being able to play a musical instrument at least in my mind but maybe i'm just not thinking right i don't know <laughs> there actually is a pretty sizable music comedy community out there. Um, there's, uh, I mean, there's the whole Dr. Demento crowd and things like that. Uh, and then there's New York has a, uh, a, a, a good little musical comedy kind of uh, coven of people out there uh, that Rob Paravonian does a lot of stuff with. And then uh, there's a, a group called the Funny Music Project which is sort of a collective of a whole bunch of people uh, that I, I contribute stuff to them, but it's, uh, you know, insane Ian and Devo spice and a bunch of those that they, they tend towards the sort of doc, Dr. Demento side of things. Um, but even with Stephen Lynch and lonely Island and, you know, guys like that out there, performers like that, um, that gives us a little bit more of a thing. And usually when you tell people you do musical comedy, they just go, Weird Al, right? And I have to go, well, okay, that's part of it. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, right? I'm sure you get a lot of that. <laughs> yeah, and, yeah. And I don't do parodies because Weird Al's so good at them. I write original stuff because I can do that better. Well, yeah, and, 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 that's, and that's, that's, more, that's more fodder if you're able to write songs. Like, that's that's really cool. I mean, that, that kind of follows in line, as you said, like The Lonely Island. I haven't heard that term. That the, is Dr. Demento even still around? I mean, that's still a thing? On the internet, okay. yeah. Yeah, he's still around. Yeah, I don't think he's syndicated any terrestrial radio anymore, but he still runs the show online. It's every a great week. term, terrestrial radio. I'll tell you what. That's wow. Well, no, I remember Doctor Demento. Gosh, he's he's been in the industry a wow a minute, right? Oh yeah, long time. Long Is he still time. alive? Yeah, my one of my mother's. Yeah, oh yeah, yeah. He's doing he's doing great. One of my mother's bragging rights is that both of her sons have been played on the Doctor Demento show. Wow, <laughs> uh, very cool. 
Very cool. Checkbox, checkbox. <laughs> See, that's that's the kind of stuff that were like, okay, if you if you want to have what's the term you use, Ernie? For when with the credentials, you use a term I forgot. You said it earlier. What the heck? Oh, the bonafide. Yeah, that's a gen. Um, I've been on Doctor. <laughs> okay, you're comedy. Okay, we're good now. I don't care what else has happened in your life. You're solid. <laughs> hey, it's more than we've been. I'm just saying. Um, yeah, but my my experience is that like musical music and comedy has kind of been there for a while now. Like I think uh, like. Uh, like older comedians from like the 40s and 50s like incorporated music a lot uh, like uh Henry sure. Youngman, uh Phyllis Diller and all those other people you know they would pack in these like you said 2000 seat theaters and they would crack jokes and you know do original songs and stuff like that right oh yeah certainly and um ah oh, boy my uh now I'm gonna lose my musical bona fides because I can't think of the guy's name but there was a guy the guy who did like uh hello Mata. oh yes hello, al Mata. oh shoot you know, alan uh, sherman yes alan sherman. oh my yes, god sherman. i had alan his album sherman. like record uh, he, i had the record with the nuts on it my son the nut <laughs> right yeah yeah so alan sherman's been out there and uh even like bob rivers with the uh the christmas songs and uh things like that where you, you know rack the malls with da, 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 you know and uh and uh anybody that destroys christmas music i'm already good with them. <laughs> so so yeah, I mean, there's a long history of musical comedy stuff. So, oh, like, so okay, give give me the Christmas lowdown. What ruined Christmas for you, or do you just like Christmas destruction? Oh, uh, specifically Christmas music uh, is uh, because uh, my brother and I we both came up playing music. He played. Uh, I started with the flute, uh, piano, and guitar. Uh, my brother had some violin and piano. He plays a bunch of stuff too. And so every Christmas we'd show up at whatever the family gathering was, and it was always play christmas song play as a christmas song and so we had to play all these christmas songs every year there is even a uh, a community television recording uh video of me playing the first noel uh on the flute uh with this and, and i was it was it was like a i was like i don't know 15 at the time and everybody else on the show was like eight years old and so i was way too old to be on there and my brother i so i did that and my brother was singing felice navidad singing and playing guitar and he was probably nice. he must have been about 11 or 12, but he looked like he was eight. And my mother likes to drag this tape out at any given moment and show it to people. Look at them. Look at them. They're adorable. They're so adorable. <laughs> <laughs> and so we we both like swore off Christmas music entirely the first chance we had. And then years ago, I was working in grocery stores doing resets which is when you go to the grocery store and they've moved everything so you can't find it anymore that was my job seriously and, is that a thing and that's a thing yeah you go in and you move things to a different place it was the dumbest job in the world that is fantastic it's a thing it's not us ernie it's really a thing i knew it wasn't just me because i'm always like damn i knew they had this stuff here man yeah. Oh, yeah. No, that's a thing. That's definitely a thing. And so I'd be working there during Christmas, listening to every god awful version of every Christmas song forever, you know, and I was just like, these people are all getting paid to do these horrible versions of these Christmas songs because they get money every time it spins. And I was like, I got to get myself some of that Christmas money. So I ended up writing three Christmas songs over the years, and none of them, none of them will ever be played in a grocery store. Um because one of them actually got us banned from playing our local Christmas event here in San Jose. Oh my God, nice. really? Oh, yeah. And 
banned yes we yeah we're not allowed to play there anymore and so we have this thing called christmas in the park in san jose and it's like all these little displays and christmas trees and it's a community event things like this and i was working with this uh, booking agent at the time with my band roadside attraction and we put out this song called what santa wants and it's a song about uh, uh alcohol drugs firearms prostitutes and santa claus and she said, we we have to do something with this song. And I said, great, what do we do? And she said, let's get you a gig at Christmas in the park. And I was like, you're insane. And she goes, no, no, it'll be great. We'll put it. We'll do it. A Toys for Tots charity oh benefit. We'll put you guys on stage with a but we'll do like a bunch of other bands so she sets this whole thing up and there's like six bands playing throughout the day and we get up there i am dressed like i'm dressed in a santa claus outfit uh but uh, without any of the padding uh the beard is just hanging around my neck and i look just like homeless santa claus <laughs> oh. uh, my own hair is hanging out from underneath the the white wig i mean just like on purpose like i just you know I was going to be like the worst Santa Claus ever. And so I'm singing and the band is going at it at the audience is having such a great time. We're on top of it. We're collecting toys, toys from tots. And then we get to the song, the Christmas song, what Santa wants. And the crowd goes crazy. They absolutely love it. And uh, the next day I get a call from my agent and she goes, uh, I go, what was the, what was the scuttlebutt? How'd they like it? She goes, they, it, they thought it was fantastic. They want to do the event again next year. Uh, you guys are not allowed to play. Again. <laughs> but you had the audience with you what the heck oh yeah the audience loved us uh but the old people on the christmas in the park committee did not take kindly wow. to it oh god there's got you oh that's awful so what was the second you didn't play the second song then you just played the one or uh, that's the only Christmas song we had that particular okay. year. I, I, I think uh, a couple years later, I wrote a song called Gimme Gimme, uh, which is a Christmas song. And then uh, a couple years later, I wrote one called Rudolph the Blood Soaked oh, Reindeer, uh, which is the, the Rudolph awesome. tale, uh, but uh, rechristened, uh, retold as if uh, Rudolph uh, had some severe issues with being the loner left out uh, character that he was. So it's pretty violent. Great. Uh, <laughs> Awesome. It, it's a Dexter yeah. of Rudolph the Red-Nosed Reindeer version. That's fantastic. Pretty much. Yeah, pretty much. It's yeah, it's pretty violent. But I, I have like you have thing. you gotten these out on singles? Can people go get them anywhere? Because I mean, Christmas is just around oh, the yeah. corner. So I mean, it's this is the time, people. If you're <laughs> yes. Oh yeah. All the, all my stuff is available on Spotify and Google Play and Pandora and all the places. Yeah. Uh, specials awesome. on yeah Amazon. Anywhere anywhere there's audio, all my stuff is there. You just uh, Google Phil Johnson comedy or Roadside Attractions. So Roadside Attractions is your band then? Okay. Yes, Roadside Attractions. Okay. Because uh, I don't I don't have a chance to perform with them very often these days. But are yeah, they that's performing the without you? I mean, is that even possible? Aren't you like? <laughs> oh god no no it's 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 my project <laughs> <laughs> just checking just checking that's like wait a second <laughs> that's great though that's that's so cool no it's a. Uh... Yeah, it's it's fun. I, I mean, that's where I started was playing in bands. All the only thing I ever wanted to do was be a guitar player in a rock band. All of this other stuff is a surprise to me. Um, I never wanted to be a singer. I never wanted to thought about being a comedian. I always loved comedy. Never thought I'd be doing it. Uh, and so, yeah, I perform solo most of the time now. But uh, the, every few years, we we get the band together and do something. And all those guys, they all play in other bands and stuff too. They're all very talented dudes. But uh, yeah, it's uh, it's fun. I always try to switch it up and do something different. Man, I think, and this is from me 
one of my favorite like all time like comedy musical movies is the Blues Brothers. I think you should do your own version oh, yeah. of the Blues Brothers, man, with your band. <laughs> like trying to get them all back together and have musical numbers along the way. Yeah, that would be fun. That would you be do, fun. You could you, ah, that's you could do it the idea. Christmas version and do all of your horrible, awesome Christmas songs. It's like this is <laughs> not for the kids. It's the it's the Christmas brothers roadside attraction. That's that's the thing. That's oh, the yeah. thing. Total Christmas. And you're going around cross country and basically all you're doing is showing up as this awful Santa Claus and all these kids are crying in every location and the parents are just going nuts because they love your music so much. That would be hilarious. <laughs> I like see, it. see, I this like is it. what it's all about. This is it. You got to make sure you release it like middle of the year too. You know, nowhere oh, around yeah. Christmas, just to make it even funnier. That's a summer blockbuster oh, yeah. right there. <laughs> that is fantastic. That's that's great stuff. I love it. So so all right. So I, I got it going way off topic again. We got the we got the Christmas. What if you had a choice now? There's only one guy that I'm aware of currently in my mind that does Hanukkah stuff because everybody talks about the Christmas stuff and doing all that. Have you ever mm-hmm. done other holidays like you know Easter or Hanukkah or is it just the Christmas? Have you ever thought about doing like a set, like a song for every holiday? Yeah, I kind of – I have thought about that. Um and uh, it's just it, there's so many projects in my head where I go, oh, God, one of these days I got to get to that project. And that's actually one of the ones I have thought about. And I've just never gotten around to it. I feel like, you know, there's no Arbor Day song and there really should be. Oh, I was just going to say the holidays that nobody realizes. Right. Right. Yeah. Yeah. I have written a couple like I, I'm I'm doing this uh, project online right now called the 30 second song project where every day a new short song comes out of my social media channels and I'm doing it for a year. I think I'm, a, you know, 175 songs into it now or something like that. So I did do like one for like National Peanut Butter Day, I think. And uh, I think I might have done one for like National Walk to Work Day or something like that. Oh, See, that's this awesome. is the stuff. This is a guy we need to know, Ernie. And we just. <laughs> you know, our, our we we pay him royalties, and we just we just have his songs on our show at the intro. We we used we oh, used to yeah. have these cool these really awesome intros where they would be varied. Like every episode or two, we change up the intro. We still say this is two nerds a joke with Robert and Ernie. If you're feeling uncomfortable, just wait until you actually hear them. Some stuff like that. And and we love it. We could do that, but then just have your music there. Just your awful great. Just every holiday thing that would be hilarious. We got it. We got to do something. That's awesome. <laughs> it, it is so unique because you know I know like my, my son's musical. I know musical people. I don't know anybody famous even slightly. You're like the most famous musical person I know personally in any shape or form. But it's so cool to have someone who can both do the comedy well and the music. That's such a great combination. Um, do you constantly like think in musical terms? Like you're always thinking of comedy songs like all the time, or is it something you have to really like? focus on and be like, okay, I'm going to do this now. Um, kind of both. I mean, I actually think about the stand-up in musical terms as well, very much where it's the the rhythm of what I'm saying and the composition of how it all goes together. So I, my stand-up bits are very much like writing a song to me. Um, but when I, I have a premise, 
I then have to decide whether that premise is going to be a song or it's going to be a spoken bit. And uh, sometimes I'll try it out both ways and go, okay, it works better as a, as a spoken bit because I just don't have enough rhymes or something, you know, whatever it is that I need for the song. So it, uh, I'll sometimes try it out both ways, but yeah, so there's that little decision-making process in there. But uh, other than that, I'll just kind of, you know, whatever is occurring to me to write that day uh, will is what kind of comes out. That's great. So, so let me ask you this because, so there's a lot of, of cool stuff going on in the entertainment world, but everything right now is either really being made fun of or really, really dead serious. Like, you know, the world is imploding mm-hmm. in itself. There's got to be a balance there to some of this, right? So have you ever kind of saw, saying, okay, these things that I watch, that, that I read, that I look at, these are kind of the middle ground that I say, okay, this is funny, but yet not mean but good and entertaining. What are those things for you? What are those, some of those shows or, or books or whatever it might be that you get into that really kind of hit that middle comedy sweet spot? Hmm. That's an interesting question. I don't know if, uh, I mean, all comedy is mean to a certain expen- extent because there's always, there's always a victim of the joke, even if that victim is the teller hmm. of the joke. Um, but there's gotta be, the joke has to be pointed at somebody. Um, and I think the, attempts to not do that are you know halfway at best but i mean there are there are ways to get around that but in general there's always got to be a a victim of the joke even if it's the person telling the joke but um uh like i've been uh, i think uh like good omens on uh, amazon prime the based on the oh my god you watched it has been really fantastic i'm i'm about oh four god. episodes into it's it it's like an really old married couple yeah. see that kind of stuff that kind of situational yeah. humor that's that's that sweet spot but that's interesting cuz again you have this you you're a comedian you're doing your funny thing you're doing your music thing but you really sound like beyond even that you've really kind of as you say gone in depth of the construction of comedy, like the stuff oh, behind yeah. the funny. How did you, uh-huh. how did you, yeah. how did you get in? <laughs> how did you figure that part out? Well, I mean, com- that's what comics talk about is, you know, all right, if I move this word over here, uh, I'm going to get a bigger laugh out of it. And, and we, that's what we talk about in the green room. Oh, that bit that you did, you can tag it like this and you can then call it back to this other joke that you did. We talk a lot about construction of the joke and construction of the set. Um, I had one bit in, in my current show that I really, really love and I wanted it to go early in the show. And I was opening for another comic and she said, you know, if you do that, that bit later in the show, after you've done this other bit, you have more credibility to talk about that subject. She said, switch it up like that tonight and let's see what happens. And I did it that night and a bit worked way better. So now it's like way towards the end of the show after I built this credibility to talk about this particular subject. And so that's what comics talk about constantly is, I mean, when we're not, you know, insulting each other and running each other down, but, uh, That's what we do is we talk about this science of comedy because, I mean, at the end of the day, it's really we're just trying to put the words in the right order so that the audience makes that weird sound. That's all comedy is. Um, (laughs) Audiences making weird sounds. Thousands of years of humor condensed into just this phrase. (laughs) Yeah, exactly. If I put these words in the right order, you're going to make that weird sound and I'll get a paycheck at the end of the night and feel good about myself. Um, That's really (laughs) that's what I always think comedy really comes down to. It's such a bizarre art. Um, 
but I, all art is bizarre. You know, I mean, when I play guitar, I can't believe that, you know, people pay money to watch me pluck a cheese grater, essentially. And <laughs> That's great. I'm very realistic about the. You know, I mean, there are there are spirit. There is spiritual importance to art. And there's also uh, art is super ridiculous. And I, I hold both of those uh, viewpoints in my head at the same time as I'm creating so that I can go. This is really silly and it's serious. And we can, you know, it was that uh, I can't remember who has the uh, might. Uh, it's not Mark Twain. It's somebody else who says the the definition of an uh, definition of intelligence is being to, able to hold two opposing opposing viewpoints in your head at the same time uh or two opposing opinions i can't remember i'm paraphrasing but uh uh i i sort of try to come at everything that way where i go this is ridiculous and it's important and how do we reconcile those two things you know so that's the kind of stuff that comics talk about constantly um we spend a lot of time in cars together driving to gigs and things like that and we're constantly uh if we're not just talking smack about other comedians uh we are you know talking about the science behind that comedy and how do we get those bigger laughs at the end? Just of the real night. quick, I did figure out who it was. Uh, Google, thank you. Uh, it, it was F. Scott Fitzgerald who said that line, and it yes, the sign, a test of yes. a first-rate intelligence is the ability to hold two opposing ideas in mind at the same time. So there you go. <laughs> Correct. Yep. That's it. That is one of my favorite quotes. Yes. Man, anyone that that can quote Fitzgerald, man, okay, dang. <laughs> Well, I quoted. I didn't know who it was, though. <laughs> I only got half. That's only half points for that one. So my my whole thing about like like what you were just talking about, staying on topic and everything about the the construction of it and everything else, and how comedians have that like inner world, that working mechanism. What what's your stance on like? comedians taking from other comedians and taking it as their own because right now there's no you can't like go to court and say this guy took my my bit you know what i mean so uh-huh. where where do you stand on that um i mean in the community itself it is so looked down upon i mean certainly here in the in the san francisco bay area where i live you can ruin your comedy career before it's even started by stealing other people's jokes. And in fact, I was just talking to a buddy of mine this morning who is a, a musician and photographer. He's up in Oregon and he goes, he goes, ah, oh, we went to a comedy show last night and there was some dude doing Chappelle's jokes from the new special that just <gasps> came out. I was no like, oh my God. Way. Jeez. He's, <laughs> oh my God. So you bad. should at least take stuff that was slightly older, if nothing else. Right. Exactly. Yeah. Uh, so it is severely looked down upon. I've heard about other other comedy scenes around the country. I forget who I was talking to, but they were like, oh, yeah, it's totally not policed in our in our scene. People steal jokes all the time. And uh, it's really a bad thing. I mean, the professionals will go great, whatever. I'm just going to write another joke, you know, because once we know how to do it, we can write more. And there's parallel thinking. Certainly, I have a joke in my show right now that is similar to what another comic I know is doing. We've got a little bit of a different angle on it, but it was completely just parallel thinking. We both came up with the same premise at the same time, and I've been doing it longer than he has, and uh, I'm going to have it in my special. Neener, neener, neener. So he'll probably end up toasting it. (laughs) Yeah. 
So he'll probably end up not doing it at some point. And it's kind of that. It's like, oh, I'm because I've seen stuff where I go, oh, I saw that in somebody special. And I've had that premise sitting in my notebook for two years and I just hadn't gotten around to doing it yet. Or they finally figured out the angle that I couldn't find on it. So there's a lot of parallel thinking. The problem comes in when you back to back them and you go, oh, the wording is the same and the punchline is the same. And, you know, Mm -hmm. that kind of stuff that is severely severely frowned upon uh in in the comedy community i mean that's what got carlos mencia in all that trouble back in the day and he's never really uh he's recovered to a certain point but not not to where he was and certainly not with his reputation among comedians by any means and so it's a it's not as big a problem as sometimes it's made out to be uh in public um because we all know better than to do that or it's the new people who really don't know better and we have to tell them, oh, look, you can't do that. You've got to do your own stuff. And then they go, oh, I had no idea. And then they either quit or start doing their <laughs> They their either stuff. get real or give up. <laughs> right. Well, one of the strangest stories I've ever heard was that apparently Robin Williams was notorious for like taking like offbeat comedian stuff and like incorporating into his things, but changing it just a little bit. And just because he was in the moment of the show, because he never pre-scripted shows, it would just come out. And before he knew it, he's like, oh, shoot, you know, I'm using someone else's bit. He would end up like sending money to that guy who he took the bit from. You know what I mean? Yeah. Yeah. I mean, the stories and I'm in Robin Williams Central here because this is his area. And he would his shows were so fast and so improvisational that he would sometimes mistakenly remember somebody else's joke and use it in the moment because it was just there was no filter happening at all with him it was just everything coming out of his mouth before it even hit his brain and from what i know he was generally pretty good about oh that's oh that's that guy's joke and he would pay them for it um which is not an unheard of thing people will buy jokes from one another um it's not uh, I mean, oftentimes we'll just trade jokes or tag each other's jokes or things like that. We'll make suggestions. Um, but, you know, in, in his case, he was like, I'm sorry, that was your joke. I would like to use it. Can I pay you for it? And he would pay well for it. Um, and some people, you know, have a, you know, a bad taste in their mouth about him, but it's pretty few and far between. Um, I didn't not I met him once or twice. I didn't have a chance to really get to know him. But the people I know who knew him really well, you know, have nothing but the highest regard for that guy. You know, um, he was he was a very amazing and very, very generous with other comedians. Uh, uh, Margaret Cho had some great stories about him. You know, she was when she was destitute and he would give her money to keep her going. Wow. <laughs> no, that. Like you said, like so many things that he that he did for like his own community and things that he didn't want the spotlight to know about that he was like doing on the on the side. Yeah. Wow. You know, buying jokes. I think I may have to reach out to you because my daughter literally is the hardest person to like get to laugh. She thinks Uh all my jokes (laughs) are just like the unfunniest thing. And one of them, I swear, it made me laugh. It made my parents laugh. And when I dropped it on her and let me let me run it by you. See, maybe it's something I'll do in the delivery. Maybe you can coach me on this. Okay. All right. Two goldfish are sitting in the bowl. And they're swimming around this bowl. One goldfish looks at the other goldfish and says, you know how to drive this thing? <laughs> okay. It's entertaining. Right. I'm not sure I'll go straight <laughs> to funny there, Ernie. But it, that was still cute. Come on. It's a except my daughter. She just shakes her head. It's a it's a weird one. It's a little surreal. It's a little bit far side, a little bit Monty Python. I like it. Um 
And it's not that, I mean, it's funny because that's what we call a street joke where, you know, you set up two, it's a two guys walking to a bar kind of joke. And uh, that's like a, that's a sort of a different world. It's not stuff we use on stage at all. So I actually don't know that many street jokes. <laughs> um, you could use which that is one weird. free of charge, sir. Yeah, I know. Anytime I have, I have, you know, I've got one or two that people will, you know, if somebody goes, tell me this joke. And I'll, uh, you know, because it's always on a plane. They're like, oh, you're a comedian. Tell me a joke. And usually uh, the joke is no. <laughs> um, yeah, I'm a data analyst, you know, I, and when I go traveling, people ask me what I do. I go, I'm an analyst. No one's ever said, oh, can you analyze the spreadsheet? <laughs> I have one in my pocket. Yeah, no one's ever said Right. See, but I do get that because I work in in tech. So um, I'm a I'm a helps. I uh-huh. uh, work at a university, and I'm I'm part of the support team. So I say, well, I, I'm I, this. I mean, I'm an Elmas admin as the title, and they're like, what does that do? And I, I said, I work with technology. I was like, so I have this problem with my computer, and it all goes downhill from there. It's like <laughs> I'm, I'm very happy for you. I, no, that's right. not exactly yeah. what I do. Good luck. It, it's crazy. Um, but I do want to, I want to get you to drop some more names on us here because you're dropping some names that I'm loving and I want to hear some more, but we've already been doing 40 minutes. So I do want to do a brief commercial break. Um, and when we sure. come back, we're going to hear some more name dropping and who else you've worked with in the comedian world that really has kind of, you've inspired each other. Cause you're talking a lot of comics and love that, but letting all our, all our audience know that if you want to get a good laugh, listen to us on the regular. If you are listening to us right now on Podcoin, you not only can be helping us out, sponsoring us, getting us to that next level of podcast glory, but you can also help out a charity too. Podcoin actually pays you to listen and you can use that money you get for listening, the Podcoin money to actually help charities out of your choice. So make sure you listen to us on Podcoin so that you can get paid to listen to the Two Nerds and a Joke podcast. We'll be right back after a brief message from one of our grand sponsors, and then we'll come back with even more with Phil Johnson, the magic comedian. Seamless transition. And we return. I just, I gotta know, Phil, you, you already said you met Rob Williams twice which is like oh my god i'm sorry i'm i'm fanboying over here love his stuff who else have you been had a chance to meet to work with to play off of or just in general have a conversation with that really kind of inspired you and you you had that fanboy moment Mm, sure and and to be honest i met robin when i was a kid i was not anywhere near doing comedy when i met him um still counts yeah, <laughs> for some reason, uh, he and I did not cross paths during during while I was doing comedy, uh, which is uh, I've always sort of re- regretted that. But uh, um, uh, some uh, like Christopher Titus is a big guy for me. And Christopher is he is a guy that is generous with advice uh, and he will tell anybody that he's a jerk uh, and he's really one of the nicest dudes I've met. He's a great guy. Um Greg Barrett is another guy that uh, that I really like a lot. Uh, every time I, I talk to Greg, he wants to talk music and I want to talk comedy. And uh, so we, we nice. do both of those things. You can play off each other well. It's great. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. So, I mean, the people in the comedy world, especially the headliners for the most part, are very – nice people um sometimes you get one of the middle acts that can be have a little bit of an attitude sort of the assistant manager syndrome but for the most part once you say hey i'm a comic too they're like okay you're in the brotherhood and sisterhood the peoplehood i don't know there's a lot of (laughs) personhood (laughs) everybody yeah there's a you're in the you're you're in the group you're in the club if you say i'm a comic you know um especially if you've been doing it for a while but uh, for the most part, uh, the comics that I've met have been really, really nice people. I've run across very few that were, 
you know, difficult or, you know, whatever. And usually those were people that nobody's ever heard of uh, and probably will not ever hear of, you know. Uh, but yeah, I mean, uh, people are generally great in this community. It's it's really nice. Man, you dropped uh, Chris Titus. I, I actually liked that show that was on Fox for a while. Um, oh, yeah. Th- and that did. I thought it was new and funny and everything else, but those things never seem to last. Like they have a very short shelf life. It seems, do you think it's because of people's tastes or is it, you know, climate or was it just all about timing? Um, from what he's talked about, about that show, it was a lot of creative differences with the, uh, with the network and, and how it ran. I think if he did it, he doesn't even have any rights to the show. People ask him all the time about, you know, oh, when do we get to see that on, you know, streaming or something? And he's like, he doesn't own any of it. And he, he, his business is very, very different now. He has his own crew that films his specials. He self-releases them. You know, he's very much all about keeping rights to his material and keeping the creative of uh, stuff but i mean i think with sitcoms unless you if you think about the sitcoms that run for more than a couple of seasons there's very few you know not everybody gets to be friends in seinfeld uh and so those usually have a limited shelf life like rodney carrington had a sitcom on nbc or abc sorry for i don't know three seasons or something like that which thrust him into the mainstream and and you know now he does casinos and he's got a great career and everything, but I don't think anybody much remembers the show he had. <laughs> oh yeah. That, that was on, I think it was competing with something else though. The time slot he was on. Yeah. Could be. Yeah. yeah. No, but I mean, heading to Vegas and what I, I guess that's just a town that's just made with money. Like some of the big time musicians will go there and, and basically want to be in Vegas. Right. Like that's like, like just a printing machine with money. Right. Oh, yeah, certainly. Yeah, Vegas is an interesting market. But when you're talking casinos, it's not even necessarily Vegas. It's it's playing all like Rodney Carrington. He he'll play Vegas eh, maybe once every two years. I happen to see him there. But usually he's playing all the Midwest casinos and things like that. Casinos are a, a bread and butter type gig for us. I do tons of them. So you do the Midwest one as well yourself then? Is that your your, your typical or do you stay mostly in your local areas? Oh, I, I, yeah, I'll do, I'll do, I play all over the country and, uh, I was, in fact, I was supposed to come down to, uh, your area there in Florida in October and the club just changed ownership and now the bookings got all, uh, shifted around. So it won't be till next year sometime, but, uh, yeah, I play all over the country and I casinos and clubs and bars and, you know, theaters and whatever it is. But, um, yeah, the casino, ca- uh, casinos are a big bread and butter gig, uh, through the Midwest and certainly here on the West coast where we've got them. Uh, and then out here on the West coast, it's wineries and breweries. We play so many wineries and breweries. That is just ridiculous. I just did a brewery last night. Do they have stages oh. or are you just like in a room and people are just drinking around you? It could be absolutely anything. Um, I've played in places that have beautiful setups. I, I played a winery in Carmel a couple of weeks ago where they brought in a full production crew. We had a stage and lights and the sound was fantastic and the audience was fantastic. Uh, last night, uh, I was playing a brewery in the parking lot in the handicap space. Uh, so <laughs> that's the range wow. that we're working with. That's crazy. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and so I wore I my I had my dad's handicap placard in my car, so I grabbed it and hung it on my shirt, uh, just so that I was allowed to stand in that spot and tell jokes. <laughs> nice, nice, good pull. So, is there um is there like a like an end game to like most comedians? Because 
me me being uh you know on the outside looking in like i see like the new york friars club roasts like usually they roast people like when they're done with their career is that usually what happens um i don't think any comic really has an end game or a retirement plan um I think I think we'd all just like to die on stage um, because it's <laughs> such a it becomes such an integrated part of our life. Like I had uh, until last night, I hadn't done a gig in two weeks because we were supposed to be in pre post production for the special, which didn't end up happening. But I didn't have anything scheduled for like two weeks. And so I was just getting like just like pent up just i was i was in a bad mood i was i mean my girlfriend would tell you she i was just like in a bad mood and it was cranky and i was like oh i gotta i have to go do a show um and so even though last last night's show was you know in a weird parking lot in an industrial park for a brewery it was still enough to make me go ah all right i'm feeling better now so the comedy thing, I mean, it's what we do. I think some comics get into it because they want to get into acting. Um, and a lot of times that was, I want to be an actor. Oh, I'm going to go be a comedian and then I'll be an actor. That happens a lot. Um, there are some comics that get tired of it. Like I, Lisa Lampanelli doesn't do stand up anymore. Now she right, does like yeah. motivational speaking, you know? And so sometimes you find out that, oh, I've got, you know, just a different path I want to go on. Comedy is my different path so far because I meant to be a musician and uh, that didn't, you know, happened like it was, I planned it. And so I, you know, just sort of segued into comedy. Uh, so we have these little pivot points and things like that. Um, you know, Steve Martin's pivot point was when he was playing those giant arenas and realized how difficult and, um, unfulfilling some of those shows could be because they would laugh at anything. You know, that was his big problem is he, he couldn't tell what was good anymore because they would just laugh and scream at whatever he said. And he said, I don't know if what I'm saying is funny anymore, so I'm going to go do something else. I remember that day he announced it. I was a kid and I remember like they did it on like it was like a news bulletin. It was like Steve Martin said, uh, just released a statement that he will no longer do stand up comedy. And apparently yeah. he de he delved into Hollywood, you know. Sure. Well, I mean, he's a playwright and a banjo player and, you know, all sorts of stuff. Um, and so it's it's good to have those other sort of avenues that you can play around in. I mean, comedy is one part of what I do, but so is the music and I'm a writer. And uh, you know, uh, so I, I always try to keep my thumb in a lot of different pies, too. Uh, I need more thumbs. I leave. I think I need four <laughs> thumbs. Too many pies, too many pies. I'm going to be all thumbs. Yeah. Too many pies to put my thumbs in. But yeah, I mean, it, it's great to be able to have those other sort of cult, uh, creative, you know, arenas to go into. And so but I, even those people, I mean, Steve Martin's never going to actually retire. He's just going to keep doing creative things until he can't anymore. Uh, and I think uh, that's where most of us kind of sit. We might get tired of going on the road. We might get tired of doing certain venues. We might get tired of whatever it is, but we're never going to actually stop doing it. So. Yeah, we don't we don't retire <laughs> like uh, old soldiers never die. They just fade away. That type of thing. Exactly. Yeah, exactly. I like that. I like that idea, though, because you're right. It does seem like a lot like Jerry Seinfeld is a perfect example. Like he was, quote unquote, retired. He got so bored. He came back and now he's doing a show on Netflix, you know, comedians in cars getting coffee. He just couldn't stay out of right. doing something. I think that's you're kind yeah. of right with that. It's like, you know, whether you stay in the comedy doing the tours or you do something else you know, whatever it might be, you have to do something creative. And that's, it's a very unique mindset. It feels like for comedians, especially like you guys are like the group of you in general are so creative and you try your hand at so many different ways of expressing your opinion, your view of the world. 
and you'd never really stay with one thing. And then every once in a while, one of you gets like, this is my thing. I'm going to stick with this. And others of you just are kind of a jack of all trades and do a little bit of everything. I can see you being one of those jack of all trade types that kind of, you know, we'll see you on TV at some point. We know we will, you know, doing shows and out there on the road and just all over the place. And that would be really cool to kind of see. Is that kind of where you're, looks like it's where you're sounding. It's like you're going to be the thumbs guy, as you said, and just do kind of a little bit of everything. Yeah. Yeah, and part of it is because I get bored easily. Um, <laughs> as much as I love doing comedy, if I'm on the road for more than two weeks, I'm like, ah, oh, man, I want to go home now and you know do something different. So I like every day to be a little bit different and have a different sort of creative challenge presented to me. So that's a big part of it, and it's why I sort of do it. But like I said earlier, we're also sort of expected uh, to do that too, because, you know, you're only going to make so much money doing stand up unless you've got something else to back it up with, whether that's, you know, screenwriting, uh, voiceover, acting, whatever it is. You know, I have plenty of uh, stand up friends who are great stand ups, but they make their money writing on TV shows and things like that. Uh, and, uh, and that is, in fact, I was just talking to my friend uh, Ngayo Bialam the other day. And Ngayo is a great uh, stand up. He's also a uh, marijuana advocate, like huge. Nice. And I'm not, I'm not a wee guy at all, right? But uh, he is, he's got like, I think he's got branded uh, rolling papers out now. He's so there's like in Guy Obialum rolling papers, and he's got like flavorings and all this kind of stuff. And I said, "What are you working on these days, man?" And he goes, uh, "Man, I'm going to these conventions, and I'm." He said, uh, "It's great. The money's great. I'm selling all lots of stuff, but it's all like brand ambassador stuff, and it's not stand up." And I said, "Well, we got to have something to support the stand up habit with. <laughs> and you're paying for years with weed. <laughs> <laughs> That's great. So you you would calculate it out as kind of an addiction. Then is is where you're kind of going here? Not the weed, the comedy. Oh, for sure. Oh, yeah, absolutely. <laughs> getting that that yeah, that, it's, that, that next you know response from an audience kind of thing. Absolutely. Yeah. I, I mean, it's a heroin shot to the arm by sh for sure. And, and there's, because it has to be something like that. Otherwise you wouldn't get past your third try at it. Um, because I see the new comics, they get up there and they get that first laugh and you're, you can just see it in their eyes. You're like, Oh, you're screwed now. <laughs> now you're going to spend every night doing this, you know? And, and then the next two years is just that struggle for just getting, just getting the laughs, just getting the laughs. And it is a weird, it's an endorphin rush. It's a serotonin rush in your brain that we receive. What's funny is that comics don't laugh nearly as much as regular people do um, because we're so, we can see the joke coming most of the time and we know where the humor lies and it becomes like we're looking at it under a microscope. And so we don't laugh nearly as much when we do. It's usually something really twisted. Um, I was, you know, comedians. Uh, what's funny to a comedian is like the the German Scheiße film of comedy. It's we're so uh, numb <laughs> to comedy that it takes the really weird, disgusting stuff to make us laugh now. Um, and so that but I mean, yeah, so I uh, now I forgot what, what the question was again, but um <laughs> I love it. I love it. No, it's great. No, you you answered the question a while yeah. ago. You're fine. Okay. You, you're fine. Right. <laughs> so I had a question for you. Which four com comedians would you want to roast you? Oh gosh. Hmm. I don't know. I've never been big in the roast scene. I don't. I don't do roast because um, anytime I've tried to write roast jokes, they're usually just really mean and not super funny. <laughs> right. Uh, you go right for the so, jugular, huh? I don't. I'm, 
<laughs> yeah, I, I mean, the only what's funny, I, the, I got uh, I got hired to punch up a best man speech a couple months ago, which was weird. This guy contacted me and he's like, I got to do this best man speech and I need some I need some more jokes in it. And I'm like, so I got to write like and it was like a roasty kind of best man speech. I'm like, All right, I got to write roast jokes about a dude I don't even know. And um <laughs> It was weird. I did it, and the guy said it went great and whatever. But yeah, uh, but that's like the closest I've come to do actually doing roast jokes. But who would I want to roast me? Um, uh, I would say I would like. Uh, I think I think my friend Miles Weber uh, would be fantastic roasting me. Uh, Sammy Obeyed would probably have uh, uh, some choice words for me. Those are guys that uh, are friends of mine who should be way more famous than they are. Um, <laughs> And I would put um, of of names. Hmm. Who would I want to roast me? I think. Um, uh, um, hmm. I would like to see uh, uh, Adam Carolla. I think would be because uh, he can roast anybody uh, or anything at any time. I think he would be interesting. And um, Adam Ferrara actually wow. I think would be my fourth choice. And, yeah. and, nice. and we like we, nice. I, I like the fact you chose people that like know you and be able to do it well. See, a lot of people would just choose like four famous people. I'm done. No, you gotta you have yeah. somebody <laughs> on that panel that knows you that can really dig deep and really pull out the <laughs> you bastard. <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> that makes you laugh because you know they know you kind of twisted in it. Right, right. Yep. That's that's hilarious. Well, I, I gotta say, so this I, is, got, I, got, I got I got one last question for you. I don't know how much you're into like the movie scene or anything. Are there any movies that are due to come out that you're interested in watching? Um, I am. Well, I just got my Disney Plus uh, membership uh, up yesterday, <laughs> uh, so I'm excited nice. to see. I'm excited for the Mandalorian, and I'm excited for the Obi Wan series that they announced because um, I love all that stuff. But uh, the the reviews of the new Joker movie, which is not normally my thing, uh, my girlfriend's usually the superhero movie uh, person in the house, but uh, that new Joker movie looks like it's going to be pretty impressive. Oh God! Let me tell you, I'm getting <laughs> such grief for like even talking about the Joker anywhere on social media. Here he goes. Go go, go on, go oh. on, Ernie. Get on your soapbox here. Let, oh. let me put a position for you. <laughs> Yeah, let me put, <laughs> nobody wants to give this movie a shot. Be, at first, they were all like, "It's Joaquin Phoenix. He can't be the Joker, you know." And Heath Ledger, this and Jack Nicholson, that. And I'm like, uh-huh. guys, can't you just wait till like the movie comes out and then form an opinion? Right. I right. mean, yeah. I, I, uh, where do you sit on all of that? I well, I try not to get involved in a lot of it. Uh, even the stuff that's like dear to my heart, the, any of the, you know, Disney, Pixar, Star Wars, that's that's been my game since I was a kid. And I have just mostly stopped reading anything past a headline, you know, <laughs> just because I'm like, I'm just going to wait and I'm going to see the movie because either way, I'm going to see the movie. If there's a new Star Wars movie and they're panning it uh, before it comes out, I'm still going to go see it because it's a Star Wars movie, you know. And so I figure I just want to kind of go in fresh without other people's preconceptions in my head. And then afterward, maybe I'll dive into some of the discussion on it. But I've also kind of learned that I don't have to have an opinion on everything either. Nice. I like Very that. Well said. Very nice. well said. Yeah, I'm a, I'm a big Star Wars fan, so I get a lot of grief about that too, man. Yeah. <laughs> it, it's like they only like fun yeah, of nothing, things. Nothing will draw ire. Nothing will draw the ire like saying you're a fan of Jar Jar Binks. Try that one. and oh, uh, <laughs> Love it. Oh. 
Love it. <laughs> <laughs> that, that sound is a bunch of people clicking off the podcast right, <laughs> right there. You can hear it. I'm not not a fan of Jar Jar, but it's fun to put it out there just to see what people do. <laughs> it's a great thing. It's a great thing. <laughs> I do know a few actual fans of Jar Jar, to be honest. I will say. I do know a couple people. who There are a few. They, yep. they, they do exist. They're a weird group, but we, we love them too because why not? <laughs> Wow. Um, I got to say, I got to know, because you, you mentioned it, and I, I got to know where you're going next. As you said, you're coming down, and I, I got to you know, gotta tell me when and where so we can go see you. Um, wh- where Where's your next tour dates? Where are you going to be? When are you going to be where? Yeah, so uh, all the tour dates are at philjohnsoncomedy.com. That's the fastest place to, uh, to get all that stuff. Um, I've got a lot of California dates coming up. Uh, because we're, I think what we're going to do for the new special is actually film three or four shows, uh, and some documentary footage. And it's going to be kind of a different kind of thing than what I was planning before. So I'm kind of, uh, intrigued to see what we're going to do with it. Um, but, uh, and then I'm doing some local stuff here in the Bay area in the first half of September. And then I'm going on vacation to Italy for two weeks, uh, cause I need to uh, set my brain, uh, on off for a while. Um, I'll be in Vancouver, Canada, October 25 and 26 at uh, Laugh Lines up there. Uh, I got some Southern California shows, Flappers Comedy and Derbies uh, at the beginning of November. Um, And then I've got Oregon dates in uh, Medford, Coos Bay and Bend at the beginning of December. I'll be in the Minneapolis area in January. That kind of stuff coming up. But like I said, all the tour dates are philjohnsoncomedy.com. That's the quickest place to get them. Awesome. Well, I, I hope you, you 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 get fulfilled on coming down here to Florida um, as well as part of your tour because I would love to go out and say, I know that guy, and be able to watch your comedy and, and laugh my ass off. That's that's my <laughs> goal here. In in my new special, there is a there is a, a seven or eight minute story about Florida, so you you'll have to watch for that. Oh yes, such an easy home run when you mention Florida, right? <laughs> I go I go deeper than you might think. It's it's a good one. I'm pretty proud of it. Okay, cool, cool, cool. We got to see it. Oh, you got you got two new fans here. Hopefully, you become a friend of the podcast. We got to have you back on sometime again. For sure, man. Happy to. All right. All right. Fantastic. Well, we want to thank Phil Johnson for coming on, enlivening our show with some real comedy. And I feel that uh, there's a punchline just waiting at the end of every episode. So, Ernie, if you would, as always, give us that punchline. Peace out. Peace out, everybody. We'll talk to you guys next time. And that's another episode of Two Nerds and a Joke. Follow Robert and Ernie on Instagram, Twitter, Facebook, and subscribe to their YouTube channel.